Loop Radio, brought to you by America's Great Loop Cruisers Association. We're dedicated to sharing Great Loop information and inspiration with those actively cruising, planning for, or dreaming about a Great Loop adventure. This is Kim Russo. I'm the director of AGLCA. Today we are talking about locking through as we have been providing some content on that all month long for April. My guest is Ken Bloomfield, who is a gold looper, who is going to be sharing some of his thoughts on locking through. And he has uh, written an article that's been published, I think, in a few places about this. So he's got some great details to share with you about how to lock through. Before we get started with Ken, I want to take a moment to recognize and thank our Admiral Level sponsors who support AGLCA at the highest level. They are Curtis Stokes & Associates, Dog River Marina, Passage Maker Trawler Fest, Skipper Bob Publications, and Waterway Guide Media. As always, we encourage our listeners to support these businesses that support the Great Loop. Ken Bloomfield, thank you for joining me today. I'd like to introduce you and get started with our conversation. Well, thank you very much for having me. I uh, appreciate your contact. Yeah, um, as I mentioned in the intro, we're, we're trying to focus a bit on locking through this month, and in doing some searching for who we could get on our podcast to cover that, I came across uh, some of your articles and said, I know Ken, <laughs> he's a gold looper. Um, so I thank you for giving us some of your time to do this. Other than being a gold looper, um, I know you're a, a boat quite frequently, so tell us a little bit about yourself and your boating background. <clears throat> well, my wife Brenda and I started some serious large boating uh, back in 1990. We started with a 36-foot Chris Craft Roamer, progressed through a 39-foot Marinette, to our current 50-foot Marine Trader that we bought in 2000 with the idea of doing the loop. Um, after the first few years of boating on the Tennessee River, I wanted to plan for the Great Loop and felt that it was worthwhile to gain some expertise. So uh, I joined the United States Power Squadron and took courses up to their advanced piloting level. Then went on to sea school and gained a Coast Guard captain's license. Um, and, of course, I've done the Loop, uh, the Ohio River, the Ten Tom many times, the the Florida coast several times, Mississippi Sound, Lake Pontchartrain, and of course the Tennessee River many times. Right, and since a lot of your experience outside of the loop is on the river system, we're going to focus today largely on the procedures for the Corps of Engineer locks because that's kind of your home waters. Uh, before we get into the procedure though, uh, as I said, I kind of asked you to do this podcast after finding an article that you had written about locking through. So how did that come about? Why did you decide to write the article? And, and you know, what made you say there's a need for this information out there? Well, that original article that you found, uh, which, of course, is a little bit outdated now, but still fundamentally sound, was written for a friend of mine in a platinum looper. Uh, that was Wayne Pritchard, Wayne and Doris Pritchard, who have uh, done the loop twice. Uh, Wayne had originally founded an online boating supplies company called Cruiser Marine quite a number of years ago, and the idea he had was just to have some added value to the website, so um, that article was one of the quote-unquote added values. Very nice. Okay, so um, as I said, we're going to focus on the Corps of Engineer locking procedures. So uh, as you're approaching the lock, one of the first things, of course, you're going to do is hail the lock master. Um, when should you do that, and what's the best method to, to do that? Yeah, well, these instructions uh, do apply 
pretty much to all the locks that the Corps of Engineers are responsible for. So that includes a great many on the loop, of course, uh, on the Mississippi, on the Illinois, on the Tennessee, and so on. Um, so to begin the process of lock through, it's pretty simple. Um, you hail the lock master, and in our local area, um, they very much demand that you hail them on 16. Um, contrary to some other information that I have heard, um, which recommends calling them on their working channel, which is very often 14. On most of the Tennessee River, um, they do not take kindly to that at all, and they do, in fact, want you to hail them on channel 16 and uh, and do so at, uh, you know, a mile or two prior to your arrival at the, at the arrival point. Um, of the lock and simply state your vessel's name. Um, for example, at Fort Loudon Lock, um, that would be um, this is Pleasure Vessel Teleco Lady, and uh, um, the term arrival point is worth remembering as the lock master might refer to it. It's marked on the Corps of Engineer charts. It is a point very near the, um, the lock gates uh, within probably. Um, or a couple hundred yards of the lock gates, um, and he may indicate you to um, uh, contact him again when you get there. But nonetheless, you're typically going to just contact him and say, uh, Fort Loudon Lockmaster, this is Teleco Lady, uh, over, and he'll come back to you. Okay. Now, you mentioned, Ken, that local to you on the Tennessee River, they're typically wanting you to hail them on uh, 16. Is there a resource you can recommend for other areas to know what channel to use? Well, generally speaking, um, if you have a chart book for the local area, um, you you may very well, like Quimby's Cruising Guide or something to that effect, you may very well find different information in there. but. From our experience doing the loop and doing the river many times, you'll never you'll never go wrong by hailing on 16. Um, uh, the worst that'll happen is that uh, he will come back and say, "Teleco lady, switch 14," and uh, you'll go to 14 and carry on with your conversation with him. But uh, okay. I can and assure you that at a good at a good many yeah. locks, if you hail him on 14, he will he will read you the riot act. Okay, so the hailing on 16 then holds true for all of the Corps of Engineer locks? Every one, every single one. Okay, yeah. perfect. So you've hailed the lockmaster from a mile or two out. Um, what is typically the response? He'll send you to the working channel and give you further instructions, or is there some other response we should expect? Well, first and foremost, uh, one of the things that gets a lot of people a little bit uh, anxious at first is that the lockmaster <clears throat> will respond to your hail on 16, but it may not be absolutely immediately um, because very often he's on his little electric scooter um, making his little tours around his lock, making sure that everything is okay. Um, he does have a little radio with him, and the radio is on the locks, are transmitted through very loud loudspeakers, so anywhere on the lock he can hear you hailing, but he may need to drive his little scooter back to where his radio is to come back to you. So 
if he doesn't instantly come back, um, don't get too excited if it's uh, three, four, or five minutes before he does. If it goes much beyond that, then yes, give him another hail sort of thing just in case your signal didn't get through well. But uh, um, he's going to come back to you at that point with a switch to a working channel, and most often that's going to be channel 14. Uh, in some areas and where locks are close together and they don't each can hear the other guy's working channel, they may use a channel 13. Once you're on the working channel uh, that he instructed you to switch to, he'll usually ask you what you want. And you, of course, respond that you're a pleasure, pleasure vessel, such and such, upbound at mile, wherever you are, maybe 20 minutes from the approach point, and that you wish to lock up or down, as the case may be. When you tell them that you were approximately 15 to 20 minutes prior to your arrival at the arrival point, which is indicated in your charts, um, they get very annoyed if you call way too early and will tersely remind you to call them that you when you are at the approach point. So my point uh, being there, um, generally speaking, you ought to have the lock in sight when you call, even if it's quite a distance at sight. But have it in sight. Um, they have been burned too many times by somebody who radios in and says, I'm 10 minutes away, and then 30 minutes later, they are not yet in sight. Um, uh -huh. So he will normally tell you what the status of the lock is, and it will often be that the water is at half level. He'll typically hold the lock at half level water so that whether he needs to take it down to lock somebody up or raise it to lock somebody down, he can do that in you know fairly jig time. Uh -huh. um, and of course, don't be <laughs> too terribly surprised, a little disappointed, but not too surprised if there's a toe at the lock, and uh, therefore there's going to be quite a delay, and if that's the case, he will certainly tell you what it is and how long it's going to be. Okay. And... and Speaking of that, Ken, because we've all heard stories of pretty long waits at the locks in recent years, especially where there's uh, some maintenance going on, can you just remind people of the um, priority order for traffic locking through? Yes, of course. Uh, commercial commercial um, um, vessels have number one priority. Um, and they will be locked through before you will, and that can frequently be fairly long. We've had waits as long as five hours uh, at some locks, and uh, it's annoying and irritating, but that that could happen even with just one big toe to go through because the toe may have to break his toe down, push some barges in, get them up, raise them up the lock, push them out, tie them to the wall, bring himself back down and repeat that until he's got all his barges through. So they have the number one priority. But generally speaking, there is a there is a rule that um, at a maximum you will have to wait for the third lock through. Um, so in other words, if there's a if there is a, a lot of if you're if you're there and then other toes arrive behind you, you won't have to wait for more than three, three complete lock-throughs before you'll be locked through. They are very good at trying to work you in, and sometimes, sometimes if a tow captain will allow it and he has some room in the lock with them, he will allow you in the lock-up with them. Um, but a lot of them are a little bit wary about that because they uh, have had some bad experiences with some 
some uh, RVs, as they call them, which is <laughs> recreational <laughs> vessels. Well, and, and from what I hear from loopers out there, that is the case. I mean, they do try to work you in. Um, the lockmasters really prefer not to cause a pleasure craft to have to stay out there, you know, overnight or something while the, right. tra the commercial traffic is locking through. But that said, in the last few years, because of some maintenance issues with the locks, we have heard of some very long waits, um, sometimes overnight. So we recommend kind of keeping an eye on that ahead. And as the looper season for coming through this area um, starts to approach, we'll try to share some information. But one recommendation that I hear over and over again is just to remember to be patient with the lock masters um, because they basically control your your fate at that point and um, we've heard some stories of some boaters not loopers because they're typically very polite but heard some boaters on the radio who have um, not been very patient and not very understanding with the lock masters who are trying to do their jobs and then experienced much longer waits <laughs> on their way through the rest of the river so just a word of caution there as well just remember these guys are working and just trying to get everybody through on the best schedule they possibly can very all right true. Ken um so once the lockmaster has responded, you're ready to lock through, um, what happens next? How do you prepare to enter the lock? Um, do they typically tell you which side you'll be uh, approaching so that you can set your fenders up? Yes, all good questions. Um, well, if the lockmaster has to drop, a, as an example, has to drop the lock water level for you, it, it entails releasing a lot of water if you're on the downstream side heading upstream. Uh, he will normally sound a very, very loud undulating siren-type horn for a while to, to warn all the striped bass fishermen that are below the spillways to expect a sudden rush of water, which often shoots sideways out of the lock wall towards the dam. The fishermen in their john boats are normally swarming like bees at the outflow of the generators of the spillways, and that seems to be a great place for stripers. Um, in some cases, you may find that the lock gates are already open when you arrive there, and there's other vessels already in the lock. Um, this isn't very frequent, but it does happen. In that case, well, the lock master will likely just say to you, bring her on in, Cap, but do not, capital letters not, do not come roaring into the lock with the idea of slowing down at the last moment. Um, as you'll bring a large wake into the lock, and definitely you will be persona non grata if you do that. Um, but let's assume that we're starting from a lock that's not open when you arrive in sight. First of all, it's the law that everyone on deck has on a life jacket. Some lock masters will not lock you up if this is not the case. Others are a bit lax, but be sure that you do. Every lock has a light very much like a common traffic light, with red, amber, and green lights. Um, you may have to visually search for it a bit, but as you get close, you'll see it. The sequence is that that light will be steady red while the lockmaster is getting the, the water level ready for you, so you must loiter until the lock is ready. How you do that's up to you, but if the wait is going to be long, you might even want to consider a short scope anchoring. When it's nearly brought to your level, the lockmaster will usually, but not always, give the flashing amber indicating that he's nearly ready to open the gates. Uh, when the lockmaster has the lock ready for you, the doors will open, uh, you'll get a horn, and the light on the lock will turn from red or flashing amber if he gave you the flashing amber. In any case, it'll turn to green, and he'll um, tell you on the working channel 
bring her on in and take pin number so and so on the on the port side or the starboard side or whichever he wants you to go on to. Um, this pin selection um, instruction is important to obey as there may be stuck pins in a lock and you sure don't want to be tied to one of the pins that's stuck, in other words, won't float up or float down as necessary when the water starts rising or falling. And uh, you should also, of course, bear in mind that there's several boats waiting for the lock to transit, so the lock master will say who goes in and what order, and normally large boats go in first and then, and then smaller in sequence. So that's pretty much what's going to happen next. Okay. Now, you're, you've uh, mentioned these pins, um, or bollards. If you haven't locked through before, you're probably not familiar with what that is or how they work. So describe a little bit about that. Sure. Um, well, as we mentioned, uh, when you get to the lock um, and maneuver up to the appropriate bollard or pin, those those terms are used interchangeably uh, I think technically it really is a bollard, but a lot of times the lock masters will refer to them as pins. The um, the um, crew master's job, of course, is going to be to loop that bollard. Uh, um, all of these uh, Tennessee River floating bollards um, look very much like a almost like a, an oil drum with a bright yellow pin mounted on top of it and uh, it's in an alcove on the side of the lock and floats up and down with the uh, with the water level so your boat and the pin that you're tying to are are floating together so you don't have to be paying out or taking in lines once you're tied up okay and explain to us how you go about tying up to one of the floating pins? Well, when you um, when you get into the, uh, the lock and, and you are up to your, your pin, um, one of the things that you really should do is to absolutely make sure that you're very much prepared at that point. And prepared means two things. Um, one of them is having a good a good tie-up line ready, and the second, and I would suggest a 25-foot line is not an unreasonable uh, length to be looking for. And the second thing is, of course, to make sure that your fenders are out um, you know, even before you enter the lock so that you're not in a big panic trying to get them adjusted to the right height and so on and so forth. Um, um, so once you've um, once you've gotten up to the uh, the pin that uh, or the bollard, if you will, that he instructed you to tie up to, your crew person must toss the line such that it goes from the boat around the bollard and back to the boat. And um, generally speaking, it is most successful on most of the looper boats, um, which are typically a reasonable sized boat to simply tie up from one center cleat with one line going around around the bollard and back to your boat. Um, a lot of people will try doing one from the bow and one from the stern and some kind of a big triangular thing around that single pin, but it's much more effective to just have a fender at the bow, a fender at the stern, and come off your center cleat uh, around, around, that, uh, around the pin. And one good way to to do that um, is to 
start with your rope, um, one end of it around a cleat in your boat, then bring it outside your rail and up over the rail to the crew person. Um, a lot of times we see some humorous things where people have the rope and it's over their rail and they don't realize it until too late. So make sure it's under the rail. Then the person can stand on the tag end, the other end of the rope, put it under their foot on the um, on the on the deck is is one way of doing it. Um, and then the bulk of the line, the rest of the 25 feet, you you create two different roughly equal coils and line, put one on the left hand, one on the right hand with a U-shaped piece of line hanging down between your hands. And when the bollard is reasonably near, when the captain's done the best job that he can in getting you reasonably near that bollard, with both hands, throw that hanging loop and the two coils at a point behind the bollard. Um, don't try and just reach the bollard, but give it a good fling. Throw it way back in because you've still got the tag end on the boat under your foot and you can start hauling in on that and um, it, uh, it it's makes it much much more sure that you're going to catch that uh, that that pin i've seen all kinds of people try all kinds of apparatus uh, sticks with various apparatus on the end to try and have some kind of a Oh, a way of holding the rope and drop it over there, but then they find that standing on the side of the boat, the end of the stick is hitting the side of the boat, and they get in a they get in a, a heck of a mess. So I think that um, the idea of just the two coils in line, one on the left, the one line into into the two two coils, one in each hand, and then flinging it over the the uh, pin will probably work best. And one of the things that I recommend that uh, my wife and I did the very first time we started doing this routinely was on board our boat we happened to have a garbage can that was a tall round garbage can and I said hmm that looks a lot like a bollard and we we practiced doing that on the boat so that uh, so that the whole concept of throwing that line was down pat. That's a great idea. Once it's once once you're around the bollard, of course, then uh, the crew person hauls in on that tag end, and you pull yourself and the boat up to the wall. I would suggest don't pull any closer than about one and a half to two feet away. Give yourself a little bit of uh, little bit of extra room. They're not too much. You don't want to be wobbling all around too badly, but foot and a half to two feet away from the wall um, means that your fenders aren't going to be constantly plastered up against the wall and uh, once you've done that tie that tag end off to your your cleat and uh, and then immediately that you've done that you are secure at that point you immediately go to your radio and radio the lockmaster on that working channel and you say uh, motor vessel teleco lady or whatever is secure tell them that you're secure because he's liable not to start closing gates and so on until you do and Great finally, um, and oh, finally sorry, on that, just for what it's worth, shut your engine down so you don't asphyxiate everybody else in the lock. Also very good to know, and we get questions about that sometimes, so thank you for bringing up that point. Um, we're going to take a quick break and play a message from one of our sponsors. When we come back, we'll, um, you know, We'll basically finish the locking through process. We'll talk about what to do uh, while the water is raising or lowering and then how to exit the lock. We'll be back in a moment. Sure. 
AGLCA Admiral Sponsored Dog River Marina is located at the mouth of the Tentom Waterway in Mobile, Alabama, only 22 miles from the Gulf of Mexico. The marina encompasses 95 slips, 80 of which are sheltered. They offer a ship store, courtesy car, rental cars, 24-hour guard service, and shore power. The complex's full-service repair facility is staffed with highly trained personnel to handle everything from simple repairs to complex overhauls. For more information, visit www.dogriver.com. We're back on Great Loop Radio with our guest, Ken Bloomfield, who is sharing with us today the procedure for locking through um, the Corps of Engineer locks. Ken, uh, you've got us tied up uh, and ready to lock through. Tell us what the procedure is while we're waiting for the door to open again and how we know when we're clear to exit the lock. Well, typically speaking, um, what we do, and I would recommend that uh, most people do, is um, have a crewman at the stern, another one at the bow, both with boat hooks, pushing off reasonably, and that way it keeps your your fenders from being constantly mashed and scraped up against the rough concrete wall. Um, It's not an absolute must. Some people don't care about their fenders too much, and so they let them do all the work. But uh, basically that's that's about all there is to do is just... just stand there and just kind of make sure that uh, you you minimize your fender damage um, mm-hmm. and wait for um, wait for the instructions um, regarding exiting the lock um, then of course um, once you're finally up the uh, the gates are going to open or at least one of the locks on the TN river here um, the lock actually drops down into the water out of sight, but uh, most all the rest of them, the gates will open. And at that point, when uh, the gates are completely fully open, um, you'll be given a horn that says you're permitted to leave. Um, on pain of death or even worse, uh, remain tied to your bollard until you have heard that horn, um, or again, you'll be persona non grata for sure. But once you have the horn, then you can simply immediately untie and start leaving. Um, if there's several boats, the lockmaster is going to say who leaves in what order. But uh, there is one rule paramount in a lock, and the lockmasters take this very seriously, and that is that you never you never pass in a lock. In other words, if the guy ahead of you is a little slow untying, you don't get impatient and cast yourself off and try passing him, um, you'll only do it once. Uh, <laughs> right. Um, we only have a few minutes left. Um, one safety concern, though, one thing I have always heard from experienced loopers is to carry a knife when you're handling yes. the lines in a lock. Explain what, when and why you would need that. Well, it's uh, it, it's not unknown. It's it's very rare, but it's not unknown that one of these uh, floating bollards, uh, which is running in its alcove and tracks, could jam. And of course, if it jams and you're tied up to it, and the water is either dropping or rising, and it's not dropping and rising, um, that uh, is immediately going to start um, doing bad things to your boat, as you can well imagine. And that rope is going get, to start getting so tight that it's not not even likely that you can undo it from your cleat on the boat so um, you want to have a nice sharp knife ready and be able to slice that line and just get rid of it very fast right 
important to know. Um, we are almost out of time, but we focused today on the TVA locks, since that's kind of your home waters, which are, are similar to all of the Corps of Engineer locks. But there are other locks on the Great Loop and some of the canals and what have you. Any major difference we should know about with uh, the procedure or how you tie up in those other types of locks? Yeah, most of the Florida locks are just going to have a rather dirty line hanging down the side of the lock, and so when you get to the lock, you're just going to grab that line and kind of uh, kind of snug it off uh, somewhere on your boat on a cleat or even around a rail and just stand there and hold it, and uh, depending on whether you're locking up or locking down, either pay out or take in on that line. Um, when you get into the Trent Severn locks in Canada, uh, instead of pins or bollard there, you're going to have rubber-coated um, cables running from the top of the lock to the bottom of the lock. And uh, there you're going to take the line from your boat, uh, go out around that cable back to your boat, and then it's simply going to slide up and sl or slide down as, as pertinent on that uh, cable. So those are quite different procedures. Uh, a lot of people are very concerned, particularly when they get to locking down in Canada, but the good good news is there that the lockmasters will walk along beside your boat, you hand in the rope, he will he will put it around that um, around the cable for you and then hand you the end of the rope back. And that of course will be necessary if you've come into a full lock because uh, the uh, top of the cable is, is down about your uh, not far from your water line, you probably couldn't reach down there, but the lock master will do that for you. So those are the prime differences. Okay. Ken Bloomfield, thank you for sharing all of these details on locking through. Uh, most people say once you've done a few of them, it'll uh, not even seem like much of an ordeal at all anymore. But um, for those who have never locked through, it can be a little bit daunting the first few times. So thank you for giving us the procedure. I think that'll give a lot of people a comfort level um, that it is not hard to do. And you can do it safely and efficiently and, and be on your way. Uh, thank you so much again, Ken, for joining us. We appreciate it. You're very welcome. And Hope thank you to our listeners. Great loop. Oh, thank you so much. Um, and thank you to our listeners. We'll be back next week with another episode of Great Loop Radio. Until then, safe cruising. <laughs>